morning. So good to see you all today. Welcome to everyone here in the auditorium. Welcome to those watching in the venue and those watching online at carneyefree.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Adrian, and if we haven't yet met, love to connect with you after the service. We are in um, major messages, minor prophets, as you just saw from that sermon bumper. Uh, I like to refer to the minor prophets as the stuck-together pages of the Bible. It's uh, that section of the Bible, just right of the middle, that uh, we tend not to go into much. Uh, they tend to get stuck together, but that is, again, why God gave us this table of contents to use today. As we go to the book of Obadiah, and uh, we look at a message there together as a church family. Beautiful weekend, right? Man, so, so nice. I really like gardening in the summer. And my wife and I like to get into our garden boxes and get our hands dirty. And we partner well with the storehouse and the YMCA for our community garden uh, that our church has and helps provide produce for folks in need uh, during the year through storehouse as well. But we both kind of like getting our hands in the dirt in the garden. I've wondered, why do I like it so much? And I think it's because it's predictable. I can use a little bit of predictable in my life. I don't know about you. But I, I like the fact that you, you tend to basically, more or less, reap what you sow, right? So you get into the garden, and um, for us, we put in some lettuce and some chard and uh, different things in, in the spring when it's still a bit cold. And then here in June, we're eating delicious salads. And uh, by the start of June, we put in the tomatoes and the jalapenos and the cilantro and all that good stuff. And by July, we're having salsa and marinara sauce and all kinds of goodies, right? Like, as long as you do the basics of planting good seed and weeding and tending to, to the soil, you're probably going to get some really, really good stuff afterwards. Now, if you plant those seeds in jam-packed soil and then you just kind of ignore it, and you don't do anything about the other weeds, then you don't get much in return, right? Gardening is predictable. You reap what you sow. And there's a joy, there's a gratification to sowing something and then being able to reap. And there's also a good natural lesson to failing to sow and then failing to reap, which we've had plenty of those experiences in our garden as well. But today as we open up to the book of Obadiah, we're going to see this major message from a minor prophet, all of 21 verses though this morning in Obadiah. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament, and uh, the message is really about sowing and reaping. And Obadiah is a part of the whole counsel of God, and so we teach it. Many people don't know Obadiah at all, but there's a really good message here. It's an important message from this minor prophet about this principle of sowing and reaping. What we put in is oftentimes about what we get out. The year, the context here is about 586 BC. So you transport back with me here 2,600 years, and the people of Israel, 586 BC, have just been conquered by Babylon. Okay, the southern kingdom of Judah, well, within Israel, conquered by the great and mighty Babylon. And Babylon came into Jerusalem and it reduced Jerusalem and reduced the temple, which is three times the size of Memorial Stadium, reduced it to pebbles. 
And Babylon the Great came in to Solomon's great mansion, and Solomon was the richest man in the entire earth, and reduced Solomon's mansion to splinters. And scores upon scores of Israelites were killed, and these mass graves were developed as the people of Israel exited from their homeland, and for 70 years, they would become exiles, refugees, in the great and mighty nation of Babylon. And you might know your history that the destruction of Israel occurred because she perpetually disobeyed the covenant that she had with God. And has been stated already in this series, a covenant is a two-party thing. We don't use this language that much except for on weddings, but it's a promise. It's a binding commitment between two parties in which each one has a responsibility. And God's responsibility in the covenant well was this. He promised to Israel way back in the time of Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to make of you, Abraham and Sarah, a great family. And out of your great family, I'm going to make a great nation. And I'm going to give you a wonderful land. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to prosper you. But Abraham and Sarah and Israel, it's not for your own sake. I'm going to bless you so that you would be a blessing to others. Say that with me. Blessed to be a blessing. Say it. Blessed to be a blessing. And so also, this is still God's covenant with us who come to him through Jesus Christ. We're not blessed so we could say, oh, lucky me. We're blessed such that we would be a blessing to other people. And this was God's side of the covenant. He prospers Abraham's family, Israel, gives them a beautiful land, blesses them to be a blessing to other nations. And Israel's side of the covenant promise was faithfulness to God's law. So God's law, the Ten Commandments given to Moses, Israel's responsibility was to be faithful to all that God had given them with those Ten Commandments. But unfortunately, Israel decided to perpetually worship false gods of money and metal, metal gods of their own making and man's approval, and they failed to keep the Ten Commandments to be merciful and to be loving, to treat other people as they would be treated, to worship the Lord their God, to not commit adultery or idolatry in any way. And after centuries of that, they reaped what they sowed. And God uses mighty Babylon to take down Israel because she failed to obey the covenant that was given to her, and she goes into 70 years of exile. And as Babylon takes Israel away, and they all become exiles together, they become refugees together, there's this little nation called Edom. And Edom is delighting in it all. Edom is rejoicing over Israel's carnage, rooting for Babylon as Israel's being destroyed, delighting in it all. Obadiah's got something to say about that to Edom. Obadiah, verse 1. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to pick one up at the entrances or out uh, at the main wall just beyond these garages in the lobby way. Um, But each 
week this summer, we're looking at one of these minor prophets, opening up our Bible and kind of marking it up as we go. You can use your phone, of course, as well, but I think there's a power in terms of learning to having the physical Bible. This was the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. So Obadiah gets this vision, and he's about to relay this vision through a message, a prophecy to the people of Israel and to the people of Edom if they will listen. He says specifically to to the people of Edom, verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, Edom, You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say of yourself, who could possibly bring me down to the ground? You see this arrogance though that is in Edom. They say, who could possibly bring us down? They live on this high mountain. They say, we are high and exalted. We live in a perched place where we look down upon our enemies. No one can bring us down. Verse four, though you soar like the eagle, Obadiah says, and make your nest among the stars, from there, I the Lord, I the God of heaven will bring you down, declares the Lord. Verse 8, it goes on to say this, In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? And what's going to happen here in the next eight verses is seven times in these next verses, you're going to hear this word, in that day, in the day of the Lord, in the day of your destruction. And in the day here, in The book of Obadiah and many other places throughout the Minor Prophets, it refers to a number of different things. It refers to the day of Israel's destruction. It refers to the coming day of Edom's destruction, the day that is coming to them in response to their injustice and to the way they participate in the destruction of Israel. But also when you read in that day, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you want your ears to perk up for for the reality that there will be a day when Jesus Christ will return and he will set this world to rights. There will be a day, it seems hard to believe how ugly our world can become and has become, but there will be a day when Christ returns and he overturns every injustice and he sets the world to rights. And this is referring to all of that. There's a triple meaning here when Obadiah speaks to in that day. It's the day of Israel's destruction. It's the day of Edom's destruction. And then ultimately the day of Christ's return when all things will be made right. So listen for that here in verse 10. You might underline those words in that day. Starting in verse 10, it says, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. You'll be destroyed forever, Obadiah says to Edom. We'll come back to Jacob in just a moment here. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. 
You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Let me just explain this here. Yeah, you'll take a look at this map up on the screen of these two different nations and it'll help us understand well, what's happening here. You have the kingdom of Judah, which is north of the kingdom of Edom, and the north of the kingdom of Judah is the kingdom of Israel. So Israel and Judah at one time were one sovereign nation together. They split, but Israel and Judah was formerly Israel. You have Judah to the south. Israel's already been captured by, by the Assyrians at this time. But now the kingdom of Judah still remains but before Babylon comes in and takes them. Then you have the kingdom of Edom, which is another small nation by population just south of the kingdom of Judah. And these two nations come from these two ancestors. Again, you, you have Abraham, and from Abraham, a little Bible history here, you have who? Who's the son that comes from Abraham? Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have two kids named Jacob and Esau. And let's just put it this way, Jacob and Esau had some sibling rivalry. Okay, they would make your boys look like best buds. Okay, they had this sibling rivalry that went like this across their lives, and then even after they died, such that they became separate nations. And these separate nations were at war with each other off and on with this violent conflict amongst ancestors for centuries to come. And so Babylon invades Judah, and Judah's ancestors over in Edom decide to join Babylon in the revelry over Israel, their ancestors' carnage. Verse 11, you might underline this. First, you stood aloof over your brother Judah, just kind of looking down at him. Then verse 12, you gloated over her misfortune. And then finally, verse 14, in the day of their disaster, you decided to wait at the border between the nations and cut down Jewish fugitives and hand over the refugee survivors back over to Babylon. This is what Edom did to Judah. So Edom moves in the course of five verses from spectators to condescending gloaters looking down their nose over Israel, their ancestors, to ultimately violent destroyers. Maybe you could put it this way. Babylon is like the bully on the playground. And Babylon finds a smaller kid to beat up named Israel. And Edom's another smaller kid, and they're just happy that they're not the one getting beat up. And so Edom decides that they're going to join in this by kicking some dirt in Judah's eyes, in Israel's eyes, delighting in the destruction of Israel at the hand of mighty Babylon. I know that's a lot of background here, but it all leads to the key verse that 
applies so much to us, applied to Edom, applied to Israel, and applies to us as well. I hope you take this key verse and this key idea away from Obadiah, but after we finish this message, it comes from verse 15. It says simply this, the day of the Lord is near for all nations, yes, for Edom, yes, for Israel, but for all nations, the day of the Lord is coming. For our nation and for every other nation, the day of the Lord has come. And it says this, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds shall return upon your own head. In other words, justice is a coming. You might believe for Days or years or decades or even centuries that you can escape the justice of God, but justice is a coming. And God is using the prophet Obadiah to tell anyone in Edom who will listen because you pridefully destroyed your brother Judah and their ancestors, so also God's justice is coming to you and one day you will reap that destruction yourself. Again, the same thing was true for Judah and Israel. Israel sowed this idolatrous worship over the course of centuries. They sowed mistreatment of the poor and mistreatment of the foreigner and mistreatment of orphans and widows over the course of centuries. And so they reaped this destruction of 70 years of exile and the loss of their place of worship, the loss of their homeland at the hand of mighty Babylon. The takeaway truth here for all of us is this, we reap what we sow. Right? Friends, this is like a proverb for all of life. This is something that you can take to, to the bank. It's a principle that you can hold on to for, for all of life. We are going to reap what we sow. So farmers know, of course, that in the spring they plant seed corn. And in the fall at harvest time, they get lots of soybeans, right? No, it doesn't work that way. They plant seed corn. In the fall, they harvest these wonderful bushels of corn. Hopefully. <laughs> like business owners know that they invest into their employees. They give goodness to their employees. They take good care of their employees. And the result over time is they reap more loyalty from their employees. Parents know that they invest in their kids and oftentimes later out of that investment, it doesn't happen with immediate gratification, does it mom or dad? It's not about immediate gratification. It's delayed gratification later on. You get something to return for, for that. Husbands and wives understand that you must give love and respect consistently, husbands, right? Consistently to your wives. And then as you consistently give love and respect to your wives, guess what? It comes around, doesn't it? Love and respect comes back from your wife and vice versa. Wives know that they must consistently give respect to their husbands and they will get it in return. Students in our schools know that if they give love to their classmates, those that they like and those that they don't like, they're going to get a whole lot more love back from their classmates. But those students who choose to backbite about their classmates, what happens to them? Inevitably, that backbiting comes back to them. You've all experienced it, and I've experienced it as well. Churches know that they sow into the community, they reach out to their neighborhoods, and God uses that to reap what? Goodness for the church and even souls for eternity. We all will reap the goodness or the ugliness that we sow into other people. 
It's like a proverb for our universe. It's one of those things, my friends, that is true whether we want to believe it or not. It's true whether we want to believe it or not. The goodness we give is likely going to come back to us. The ugliness that we give is likely going to come back to us. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians chapter 6. He says, do not be deceived. God simply cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. So if you sow to reap, if, if you sow uh, greed and anger and lust and the like, you will eventually reap that back. And conversely, whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we shall reap a harvest if we do not give up. Such a good word. I went to a high school reunion a few years ago. I won't tell you which high school reunion it was. But it was a big number. <laughs> and I, I saw a number of classmates that I hadn't seen for decades. And I went to a larger school, kind of like Kearney High. And um, one of the first people I saw was this woman who was kind of an acquaintance. We'll call her Kimberly. Uh, wasn't a good friend, but I remembered who she was. And she came up and we exchanged pleasantries. And I learned that she had become a Christian since high school. And she learned that I had become a Christian since high school. She'd followed me on, on Facebook and saw that I'd become a Christian and a, a pastor. And so we exchanged these nice pleasantries, and it was, it was very nice. Until after two or three minutes, she said to me, You know, Adrian, you used to tease me in high school. And you were amongst the many who would regularly make fun of me. And I said, Kimberly, I... I'm so sorry, I don't even remember what it was. She said, you used to tease me for being so tall. I don't know if I was just jealous of her. <laughs> you know, probably so. I, I literally didn't remember it. But she remembered it. And she, like, calmly and patiently thought about a couple people that she wanted to lovingly confront about this at the high school reunion. And she did it in a great manner, and all I could do was say, I'm so sorry, I can't believe that I did that. I was acting like a fool back then, as you know, and I'm so sorry, though, that I did that to you. All I can do is apologize. But the point is this, right? Like, what goes around starts to come around eventually. You're, just, you're not going to be able to escape it. Eventually, it starts to come back around, and it did for me in that moment. Excuse me. Whoever sows to please the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit will reap eternal life. And so Paul's word for us, do not become weary in doing good because in the proper time we shall reap a harvest for doing good if we don't give up. Now occasionally, though, the truth is we're gonna sow exactly what we reap. We're gonna reap exactly what we sow. But frequently, yeah, you know, this is the truth. We're actually gonna end up reaping way more than we sow. 
So farmers sow a little bit of seed corn, but they reap way more corn from that which they sowed. And Obadiah's prophecy against Edom came true some four centuries later, in about 150 BC, when the Roman Empire combined together their forces with this nomadic tribe called the Nabaeans. And the Nabaeans and the Roman Empire came together in 150 BC, four centuries after the, the destruction of Israel, the hand of Edom and Babylon. And when the Roman Empire and the Nabaeans came together, say that a few, few times fast, well, when they came together, Edom was not sent into exile. Edom was utterly destroyed. Edom ended up reaping far more than Edom had initially sowed. You look at verse 16 in Obadiah, it says this, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually on your hill. And that's exactly what happened to Edom. Edom came and drank on Jerusalem's hill. And then all the nations, all these other nations, the Nabaeans and the Romans and others came and drank continu continually on their holy hill, such that today Israel still exists and is a prosperous nation, but Edom is no more. Now this happens the opposite way as well. The other side of the spectrum beautifully is we will reap the goodness that we sow as well and oftentimes far more than the goodness that we sow will reap far more back to us. I love the way Jesus puts it in the parable of the soils over in Mark chapter four. He says some people are like seeds sown on good soil and what happens is they hear the word and they accept the word and they put the word into practice and they produce a crop from that word sometimes 30 times more than was sown into them. Sometimes 60 times more, sometimes 100 times more produce though they receive as a result of dwelling on the word of God over time. My brother's giving me some water. I'm about to reap some water. Thank you. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves, please. Okay, come back to me now. All right. But what a word this is for disciples of Christ, that we would dwell with Christ, we'd receive Christ, and his word nestles into us. His spirit enters into the best possible soil, and the result is we proclaim the love of Christ, and we demonstrate the love of Christ, and we get to yield a harvest that is far more valuable than our individual lives, amen? Like 30 times more, 60 times more, 100 times more, that as we dwell in Christ, we have Christ to give to others and our individual lives multiply many times over. Wow, what a gift, what an honor it is to be able to use by Christ far more than the value of our individual lives. And so we pause and we ask ourselves, like what am I doing today for other people? How am I blessing other people today? And so we look for these opportunities to smile at people. We look for these opportunities to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day of Christ coming, we look for opportunities to forgive each other. We look for opportunities to proclaim the goodness of Christ to others who do not know. And what will happen? We will reap a harvest of far more smiles and forgiveness and encouragement and sometimes even souls saved 
for all of eternity because you chose to faithfully put some seeds in the ground. Amen? This is what we are invited to, and our lives would be worth far more the value of our individual life. Frequently, the truth is we are gonna, we're going to reap far more than we sow. Last point here, though, this morning is this. Universally, you know that you only reap after you sow. You only reap after you sow. You never reap without sowing. First, you got to do the hard work, right? First, you got to plant the seeds and tend to the seeds and cultivate it and weed and all that hard work before you get a wonderful garden and delicious produce. And so also, first you have to put deposits into your marriage, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and then eventually you have a legacy. You put deposits into your kids day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and then eventually you see this beautiful produce in your children. And it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, please understand. A proverb is not a promise, a proverb is a principle. So in general, you receive back what you put in, and you're certainly gonna receive back a lot more though than you put in. It's not always exactly what you wanted, but in general, whatever you target, you're gonna hit that target a lot more. Now you remember the parable of the talents of Matthew 25, and what is expected for us is simply to be faithful. Okay, to do the hard work right now, and then we reap later on. Matthew 25 is just like a parable for all of life related to our faithfulness in sowing and how we will one day reap the Father's reward. Because in Matthew 25, you'll probably remember that the master comes to these three different servants. And as Jesus tells the story, one servant receives from the master who is Father God. One servant receives one talent. And another servant receives two talents. Another servant receives five talents. And God the Father can give as many talents to whatever people as he wishes. That's his prerogative. But he comes back to those servants years later and he asks them, how did you do sowing those talents into others for my kingdom? And one of them said, oh, I did nothing with that. I sat on it and did nothing. And the other one said, I took the two talents you gave me and I turned it into two more. And the third one said, I took the five talents you gave me and I turned them into five more. The thing that's so fascinating to, to me about the master's response to the other two servants who multiplied their talents was this. He gives them both the exact same blessing. One took his two talents and doubled it to four. The other one took his five talents and doubled it to ten. So we would think from an earthly perspective, doubling it to 10 is way better than doubling it to four, right? Like we would think from an earthly perspective, the one who doubled his one from five to 10, that one was far more successful than the one who only went from two to four. But the master comes to these two and he says the exact same blessing. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been obedient with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come now and share your master's happiness. Which tells you that in the Father's kingdom, success equals faithfulness. God is not going to come to you and say, did you plant all the seeds that I gave to Rodney? No, he's going to come to Rodney and say, Rodney, did you plant all the seeds I gave to you? 
So also he's going to come to you and say, did you plant all the seeds that I gave to you, Kurt? Whoever it might be, we simply are faithful with the small things that God gives to us. We sow those seeds and we will reap a proper harvest in due time. Okay, God is not after our numeric success. He is after faithfulness in the small things. I want to encourage you, please do not judge today by how much harvest you're getting today. Judge today by how faithful you are with what God is giving you to do today. So maybe at the end of each day, a good thing to do would be this. Here's an application for the next week, okay? The next seven days, what if we did this? At the end of each day, we do a little bit of an inventory. We reflect upon our day and we ask simply, did I sow today seeds of goodness or seeds of destruction? And as you reflect upon your day and you can say quite honestly, I sowed seeds of goodness. I brought blessing to other people. I brought encouragement. I brought instruction. I did good work at my job today. I tended to people who I care about. I tended to people I do not care about. I love my family. I love my neighbors. I did good today. Then at the end of the day, what you can receive is, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then you can just put your head on the pillow and sleep well, okay? You receive God's blessing, well done for that day, and you sleep well, knowing that it's sowing small seeds that nobody else sees that leads eventually to the big harvest that everybody wants, okay? It's sowing small seeds that nobody sees that leads eventually to the big harvest that everybody wants. Everybody wants the big harvest, but nobody wants to do the work. It's the small seeds done day after day over time for God's kingdom that leads you to the great harvest of legacy that you really want. Or maybe at the end of the day you would reflect and you would notice quite honestly that like Edom, you had sown seeds of destruction that day. And you remember Obadiah's warning, as you have done, so it will return upon you. And then you're wise at that moment at the end of these next seven days as you are reflecting you're wise to reflect upon that warning and repent. 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 That, that's the only proper response. When you've given a seed of destruction towards someone else or you've disobeyed God's commandment in thought, word, or deed, is to repent. And then to receive God's forgiveness receive his grace and to understand that God is longing to forgive. And God is longing to forgive. Even Edom. It was 400 years later that Edom was destroyed. Edom had many opportunities to repent after their wickedness against Israel. And indeed, as you read the Minor Prophets, you see all these examples of God inviting outsiders to become insiders in his family. He gives wicked nations time upon time opportunities to repent and to turn to him. He is the God of the second chances, and so he is for us as well. And the simple truth is, every single one of us can point to times and places, I dare say every week, 
that I can point to at least one time or place that I have not honored the Lord in something. Maybe every day. And we're wise to reflect upon that. We keep short accounts with God because the truth is, apology and forgiveness builds on itself as well. You want to build a great family, we want to build a great church, we sow apology, we reap forgiveness. This is critical to any family. Now what you do with those sins is you come before a holy God and you recognize that you have offended a holy God. There is certainly a weight to that. And even as I emphasize that word repent, I recognize how weighty that word is. And so what do you do with that? I want to say this, over the course of the next seven days as you do this, perhaps you build this into your life, I actually do that practice that I just described, I do that every night. And I have for years. Just kind of examination of my life over the course of that day. Where have I missed the mark? Where do I need to apologize to someone? Where do I need to keep short accounts with God? How do I receive the Lord's commendation over my life, his blessing over my life? I do that every day. But as we reflect and we realize that we missed the mark in some way, shape, or form, you feel this weightiness, and here's what you must do in that moment. You gotta look at the cross. You gotta look at the cross in the moment of that weightiness. And you have to understand that while there is this earthly principle that there will be consequences to our actions, that we'll do things wrong and there will be consequences for those here on earth and that's inescapable, we'll reap what we sow there. We look to the cross and we recognize that Jesus Christ himself has taken on the eternal consequence of our actions by giving himself on a cross and by bringing us to God. And so what the cross does is Jesus enters in by his grace and he interrupts the law of sowing and reaping as it relates to our eternity. <laughs> and this is what makes Christianity different from Hinduism or Buddhism. Like Hindu, Hinduism and Buddhism, they, they teach karma. And karma is not the tip jar at the coffee shop, I'm sorry. That's not it. Karma is the collective debt from all of your sins, from your previous lives. So whatever bad you are experiencing today, whatever disability or whatever pain comes to your life today, that's a result of your sins from your previous life and there's nothing you can do about them. Your karma is your debt. There's nothing you can do about it. Grace says no. Grace says through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus enters in and he interrupts the law of reaping and sowing. He interrupts karma and says, you give me your sin, I will give you eternal life. You give me your sin, I will give you my righteousness. And so as we dwell upon the things that we've done wrong, where we've missed the mark, the critical turn in that is that you look back up at the cross. And perhaps you would think through this beautiful verse, which we'll close with right now, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus. God made him who had no sin to become sin for you and me to take on our sin onto the cross in order that through him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God interrupts this principle of reaping and sowing through this incredible reality that we have sown the sins that put Jesus on the cross. 
And he takes those sins onto himself on the cross where he endures separation from God and he offers this great exchange where he gives us his righteousness instead. Such that when we appear before God, God does not see your sin. God sees the righteousness of Christ over you. And God does not pay you back for your sin. God sees that righteousness of Christ and he gives you eternal life instead. This is the answer to the weight that we feel over our own failure. If you haven't yet embraced this, this is for you. Like, you should feel the weight of how do I deal with my sin and the eternal consequences that it would lead to and the justice before an eternal God that would be mine if I do not have my sins forgiven. And then you look to the cross and you receive the righteousness of God given for you from Jesus on God's behalf for you to bring you into the family of God. So friends, here's the truth. We're going to reap what we sow, except for when we don't. Except for when we don't. As we appear before a mighty and holy God and we receive eternal life on the basis of the punishment that Jesus has taken on for you and me. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for giving your perfect son even for me. Thank you for giving your perfect son for each and every one of us that his perfection overwhelms all of our imperfections, that his righteousness overwhelms all of the sin that we have sown into this world. We thank you, Lord, that our unrighteousness, our injustice, our failures do not have the final word. But before you, holy God, we can stand because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so, Father, we we just come before you and, and we acknowledge that each of us have fallen far below your standards and we are sorry for the ways that we have sinned. Maybe there's some specific way that you would think of that right now. And you would repent in this moment and say, God, I'm sorry for the ways that I've fallen below your standard. And Father, we accept whatever earthly consequence we might receive because of the ways we've failed here on earth. We accept it. The law of sowing and reaping is a law of life. We accept it. But we ask as well, Lord, that you would forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, that we could be identified with the cross of Jesus Christ and totally, eternally forgiven and loved by God. And we thank you, Jesus, that this is true. Because of your work on our behalf, this is true. We give you thanksgiving and praise. And so we worship you now in spirit and in truth. Through the mighty name of God we ask. Amen.